Now today we're wrapping up our series that we've been in, What If Jesus Was Serious? And we've journeyed with Jesus all the way through his longest recorded sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you'll remember, the Sermon on the Mount is really fundamentally about Jesus's description of life in the kingdom of God. And this is important because he's describing what kingdom life really looks like. And we've learned some pretty incredible things as we've asked the question, what if Jesus was serious about these things that he said? And the reason many Christians feel like they've been pushed to the edge of culture may not be because we take Jesus too seriously, but because we haven't taken him seriously enough. And that's kind of the premise of this question. If we ask this question, what if Jesus was serious about what he said? And are we doing the things that he said that we should do? And I think the challenge for all of us is when we look at ourselves and we look at our culture and we look at who we are, even as his followers, there's so many illustrations of how we might, we might not have really put him in charge. That we haven't put some of the things that he's told us to do into practice. And I think there's no other year that has exposed that like 2020. And so if you've missed any of these messages, I just encourage you to go back and listen to them on our YouTube channel and you can catch up. Today we're in the last section of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verse 21 through 28. And so we're gonna pick up what Jesus is talking about right here, and it's a, it's a really profound passage. Matthew 7, 21 through 28, says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a hike and you've noticed a stack of rocks piled up in different spots, just piled up. And my family and I, as we've been hiking from time to time, we've been confused about these things. Is it art? Is it somebody uh, just trying to be creative? Is it, (laughs) are they alien markers like crop circles? Are, Are they altars? What are they? I recently discovered they're called cairns and they're markers to help you 
find your way. They're there to mark the path. And this is exactly what Matthew is doing in his gospel, in his writing. He's he's saying Jesus finished these sayings, these things, and the crowds were amazed. And he does this several times. Now, if you're an eagle-eyed reader of scripture or if you followed the Bible project at all, which I love and our kids love, you'll know that the book of Matthew is broken up into five big chunks. Five big passages where Jesus is teaching and each of those teaching chunks ends with a phrase that's similar to this. Matthew 11.1 1 says, so when Jesus had finished teaching his 12 disciples, Matthew 13.53 says, so when Jesus had finished these parables, Matthew 19.1 says, so when Jesus had finished these words, and Matthew 26.1 says, so when Jesus had finished all these words, Matthew is actually leaving us some markers along our journey up this mountain. And until we finally reach the summit and the end of the book, like he's charting a course forward. And when we finish, he wants us to realize who Jesus really is and what he's come to do. And that's why he's writing these things. Because Matthew's up to something as he's revealing Jesus to us. He wants us to visualize Jesus sitting on a hill, instructing his followers that how they should live. And he's drawing a parallel to Moses going up on a hill called Sinai. And that's in the Old Testament where he received the law of God from God. And he's teaching the people how they should live. And so what we see here is Matthew wants us to see Jesus as the new Moses. And now you really have to start to see that Matthew is what he's doing with these five big blocks of teaching. Because every Jew would have known the Torah and the rest of the scriptures as we discuss what other teachers have said about them. Like, like the, Matthew wants those or, original readers, right, to all, to all realize that Jesus kind of looks like Moses, only he's so much more. And so even the teachers of today sometimes will discuss what other teachers have said, like just like the Jews would have done. Like they would have read the, 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 the law and the prophets and discussed all these things. Um, we'll use commentaries and resources a lot of times and we'll talk about it together. We'll talk about what other people have said rather than bringing a new interpretation. But look at what Jesus does. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is blunt. He is to the point. He says, this is what I say to you. Never mind what else you've heard. This is what I'm telling you. I have authority to say it to you. And he closes his sermon with this great warning that we're reading today. His listeners will be judged on whether or not they hear these words and do them. And the picture he gives us is that doing what Jesus says or not is really the difference of a house that stands or a house that falls. And so as we close out this series today, I want you to, 
I want you to consider four ideas from this passage. And I really want you to, to absorb the ideas that Jesus is, uh, uh, is presenting to all those people sitting on that hill and to us today. So number one, I want you to see from this passage, if Jesus was serious, then he actually expects us to do what he said. In the Old Testament, when Moses came down from Sinai and gave us the Ten Commandments, he presented God's covenant to Israel. That's what he was doing at that moment. The people responded to what Moses gave them and what he said with a resounding yes. In Exodus 24, 3, we see that it says, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Now, this happens throughout scripture as we see God interacting with his people, the Israelites. We see it throughout the scripture that people hear God's commands and they have a choice. And their choice is whether to do what he says or not. This is the pattern on the Sermon on the Mount. There's, there's lots of patterns throughout the Old Testament. In some ways, we could remember it just like the the the. Con- The conclusion Jesus brings us to is the Nike slogan. (laughs) Just do it. (laughs) Just do it. Jesus didn't intend for this sermon to be uh, uh, some kind of treatise on ethics. He, he He wasn't providing us with like simple lifestyle principles that we are supposed to abide by. He didn't deliver a righteous ideal that we'd never be able to attain. That's not what Jesus was doing. The evidence is overwhelming. Jesus expects us to do what he taught. He asks us to respond like Israel responded at the giving of the law. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Here's how James describes it in chapter one, verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. As we close out this series, I want you to look back at what we've said at what we talked about and let's do it. Let's do this together. Those who do what Jesus says, in this sermon, Jesus has said they will be blessed. Blessed. Remember how that's defined. Happy, giddy, even fired up. Something happens when you do what Jesus says. Jesus concludes his sermon with one of the best known parables in the Bible. If you, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you probably saw this on flannel graph or, or something like that. In a Sunday school class, the story of the wise man who built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built on the sand. So let's, let's go to Sunday school for a second with me. Uh, take the simple quiz, all right? What does the rock represent? What does the rock represent that Jesus is presenting? Now, some will say, A, uh, Christian theology. That's the intellectual answer. Yeah, we gotta, really got to know what it means. B, some would say the church. That's the institutional answer. C, 
This is the, this is the Sunday school answer. Jesus. It means Jesus. That's what it represents, of course. And, and it's a good one. It's a good answer, but it's incomplete. D is the answer. Obedience to Jesus' commands. That's what the rock represents. It's a simple message. Even little children can understand it. Jesus is essentially saying, look, don't be stupid. Do what I'm asking you to do. It's the best thing for you. The thing is, this is such a simple message, but we commonly misinterpret it. As a kid, I was taught the guy who built his house on the rock was a metaphor for Christians. And then conversely, I was taught that the foolish man, or maybe I just, I, I, maybe I just thought about it that way and it was never really explained better, that the foolish man represented non-Christians. You know, the guy who built his house on the rock was a Christian and the other guy was a heathen, a sinner, a dirty dog of some kind. <laughs> but this story, now listen to me, this story is really about two houses that look exactly the same. The only difference is what's below the surface. Jesus is actually contrasting two different kinds of Jesus followers, those that are genuine and those who are not. And according to Jesus, they both look the same. They look the same. Theologian John Stott says both read the Bible, go to church, listen to sermons, and buy Christian literature. The reason you often cannot tell the difference between them is that the deep foundations of their lives are hidden from view. The most important thing about us, one chapel, what defines our life is hidden from others. I'm talking about our obedience to Jesus and his commands. Jesus says it's the secret, hidden reality on which we construct our identity that really matters. Sky Jathani, the pastor and author, he says, the world celebrates the grandeur of the house, but the Lord alone knows the quality of its foundation. So here's the second thing that we learn from this profound passage. Number two, if Jesus was serious then a wise person may not be easy to identify. Galatians 1.10 says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? This is the Apostle Paul and he's describing himself in this way. He said, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The wise person is the one who hears and does what Jesus says, and you can't always identify them. They're hard to identify because they're not seeking approval from anyone else. They're, they find their approval from God and himself, and, and they simply do what he says. Something that you can see that is driven by something you can't see, right? It's something that you can see that is driven by something you can't see. In this parable, Jesus emphasizes that it's the unseen things. This is so big for us to understand. It's the unseen buried part of the house that determines whether or not it will stand when the storms come and they will come. It has nothing to do with all the stuff you can actually see, right? 
church on Sunday is not enough to get you through. It's being in a loving community of people called the church that matters. A really successful career is not what lasts knowing who you are on the inside. That's what counts. Houses, cars, vacations, bank accounts, they don't always endure through the storm as we've seen this year. Integrity and maturity are what's constructed below the surface, hidden from the view of others. Recent studies from Barna and other sources say that increasing numbers of Christians, especially young adults, are leaving the faith. One of the theories behind this is part of the problem is a form of pop Christianity. Pop Christianity. Christianity that's more focused on building up an impressive house than in building a strong foundation. Oh, look, it's awesome. Upstairs is so fun. Like there's games and there's toys and it's, it's easy and it's fun. You can see out of the windows. And it's full of exciting events and activities. But downstairs life isn't quite like that. It's more challenging. It's a life of prayer, a life of scripture, a life of confession, worship, discipline. And that's where the house actually gets built and maintained. Down near the basement. You're familiar with the concept of inoculation, right? Where like we're all thinking about inoculation right now because of the virus that and the global pandemic we've been journeying through. But inoculation involves exposing someone to a virus in a limited way so that their cells will produce a natural antibody to guard against full exposure, right? That's how it works. Unfortunately, <laughs> this also describes what happens with Jesus in many young lives. Frankly, it happens at all ages, right? It's, they've been exposed to a superficial version of Christianity. In other words, a limited form of Christianity. So they form habits and patterns that actually resist deeper and even genuine faith. They form faith antibodies that become kind of resistant uh, to, to, to what is happening. And that's why I'm so thankful for student pastors in our church who are not just exposing our kids to a limited Christianity or superficial way of interacting with God, but deep and meaningful and powerful principles and experiences and encounters with God and discipleship processes. I think it's so important that we all embrace these kinds of things. We gotta spend time downstairs in the basement doing the work of the genuine Christian life. Once again, the author and pastor Sky Jathani says to preserve Sorry, to persevere in the Christian life, we must be willing to spend time in the servants' quarters and cellars to establish unseen and uncelebrated patterns of obedience. Now listen, this is why earlier in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, you can go back and read it. You can see Jesus spends a considerable amount of time trying to convince 
his hearers, that they've got to develop a secret life that is hidden from everyone else's view. And he actually says, don't, don't, don't take care of the poor. Don't do your acts of kindness to the poor so that other people can see it or to be seen by others. He says, don't pray to be heard by others. He says, don't fast so that you can make other people think you're spiritual. No, you got to you got to get rid of all the extraneous noise, all, the, all of the other opinions, and focus your attention in secret, in a hidden life, on God's opinion. That's where the work is done. A third lesson we can learn from Jesus in this passage is, if Jesus was serious, then our unseen disciplines are what make our faith strong. They're what make our faith strong. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. This incredible passage by the Apostle Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Listen, when we started this journey about the Sermon on the Mount, when we started asking this important, simple question, what if Jesus was serious? Did he actually intend for us to do all this? Like, like, like we're having to really settle it. Are we really supposed to watch what we say and, and be careful of the contempt that can live in our hearts? Are, are we really supposed to turn the other cheek or give up our code or, or go the second mile? I, I, are we really supposed to love our enemies? That, that just seems so wrong on so many levels. Are we really supposed to not worry? I mean, come on, Jesus. The truth is, a lot of Christians have this mindset where they kind of halfway doubt that Jesus really meant these things. Some Christians would call Jesus their Lord and Savior but dismiss what he taught us he, they would dismiss it as not practical. They, 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 come on, Jesus. It's, this isn't, I'm not sure it works in today's world. Right? Jesus' original audience wouldn't have made this mistake. They heard him teach. They were amazed by it. They especially realized that he spoke with authority that they hadn't heard before. So they weren't left wondering if he was serious or not. They knew it could be that our problem is our pop Christianity has emphasized the love of Jesus but ignored the intelligence of Jesus. Think about that for a second. Emphasizing the love of Jesus but ignoring his intelligence. We, we sort of think Jesus is a good guy, like a wise old uncle, you know, like, like that we can go to in times of trouble who gives us kind of good advice. But he doesn't really get the way the world works. How, how could he really understand it? How could he understand our popular culture and our discussions that we're having right now? He doesn't know much about our political system. Like, I don't know if he could really speak to that. He, he didn't have social media, no TikTok, you know? I mean, how could he? He doesn't, he just doesn't get it. I know he cares for me, but 
truly, I do, but I think that's what's enough, right? He just cares for me. But I don't think he gets his, this modern world we live in. That's how so many Christians think. And even if they don't think it overtly, it, their, their actions and their lives betray this mindset. And so we sort of un- intentionally or even unintentionally dismiss what he has to say. Here's what the brilliant theologian and author Dallas Willard had to say about it. And I want you to really pay attention here. He says, our commitment to Jesus can stand on no other foundation than a recognition that he is the one who knows the truth about our lives and our universe. It is not possible to trust Jesus or anyone else in matters where we do not believe him to be competent. We cannot pray for his help and rely on his collaboration in dealing with real life matters we suspect might defeat his knowledge or abilities. And can we seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he were not smart? If he were divine, would he be dumb or uninformed? Once you stop to think about it, how could he be what we take him to be in all other aspects, all other respects, and not be the best informed and most intelligent person of all, the smartest person who ever lived? I love this quote by Dallas Willard. It leads to our final point today. Listen to lesson number four. If Jesus was serious, then he is the smartest person ever. He's the smartest person ever. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, the son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, things, in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. I love that passage. In him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Listen, one chapel. Jesus is smart. Jesus is serious. He's serious about these things. Imagine what your life could be like if you just took him at his word. Imagine how our world would look if those who claimed they followed Jesus actually did. As Listen, we can. You can. As Jesus told this story about the two men and the two houses, those original hearers would have probably had a dramatic picture in their minds. Not far from they were, where they were on that hillside, you see, in Jerusalem, Herod's men were continuing to rebuild the temple and they all knew it as God's house. And it was built on a rock. I've been there, it's rock to the core, bedrock. And Jesus' last sermon in Matthew He warns that the temple will actually come down someday. But halfway through the gospel, 
Halfway through Matthew's gospel, there's another dramatic moment where Jesus says something so powerful. It's Peter's confession of faith that Jesus will be the rock. It's in response to Jesus asking him, who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. It's this community that Jesus declares will stand against the gates of hell. It's this community that believes in and follows Jesus as the Messiah. It's the church. It's you and me. This is the message for all of us, and Matthew wants us to get it. If we build our lives on the teachings of Jesus, we will be part of that house, built on a solid foundation that lasts forever. I want to ask you, what kind of house are you building today? What kind of house are you building today in your life, in your family, in, your, in our church? We have to answer this question. Are we doing Jesus' words? Are we doing what he says? Are we only reading them or hearing them, thinking how great they are and not doing them? Come on, let's, let's commit ourselves to doing what Jesus says. Let's pray together. Would you join me? Father, we just come to you and we admit right here that so often we have relegated you to the margins of our life instead of to the center of everything that we think and everything that we do. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for not taking you seriously. We want to obey you. We want to do what you've told us to do. And, and we want to see it. We want to discover it when we have fallen into disobedience or into a, 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 a period of our life where we're just not taking you as seriously as we should. Somehow we don't believe strongly enough that you meant what you said. Father, we want to respond to you today and we want our faith to be strong. We want to build our house not on the sand. We want to build our house on the solid word, the word of God, the truth of who you are, Jesus, the one who came and died for our sins, the one who comes to renew our lives, to close the gap with God and us, who takes care of our sins and wipes them away, all our failures, all of our foolishness, all of our wounded yesterdays. Jesus, you're the one who does that. So we, we take you seriously today and we ask you to lead us, lead us from here into our future into the end of this year, into a, a period of evaluation and looking at our lives and asking the hard questions and being willing to reevaluate, being willing to repent and being willing to then renew our faith in you. We do that today. Lord, we follow you. We trust you. We ask you to lead us on. In Jesus' name, amen.